Father, thanks for a moment to be still, to be silent, to ask you to meet us this morning. Pray that as we look at your scripture, you would speak to us through the power of your spirit. You would illuminate what is here in the text for us to see in this conversation, this dialogue between Jesus, you, and Pilate. Would you stir our hearts to understand what it looks like to love better as we see Jesus' love in this moment? Would you invite us into your presence this morning? We love you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, welcome again to Redemption. I'm John. I'm one of the pastors here. Glad that you are with us this morning. Uh, if you do have a Bible, please have it open to John chapter 18. If it's not already there, we are going to be looking uh, through the text this morning. We have been in the Gospel of John for quite a while now. We will finish it towards uh, Easter coming up in April. Um, and if there's anything, if you've been with us for a stretch, that I would hope you would remember. If we finish out and five years later I see you in the grocery store and I say, hey, remember when we were in the Gospel of John? What's one word that would describe the Gospel of John? I hope you would remember the word that I'm about to say because we keep talking about it over and over and over again. And the reason we keep talking about it over and over again is because this is what John tells us. At the end of his Gospel, the fourth Gospel, he writes in chapter 20, verse 31, why he writes what he writes. The reason is to believe. That you would believe that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is who he said he is. And that in believing, you would have life in his name. It's the whole reason John writes this fourth gospel. And he has different stories versus the other three gospels. And so it's important for us to really put a grid on of everything we read, every interaction we read in the gospel of John should be put through the grid of what do you believe about Jesus? Do you believe he is who he says he is? And he keeps doing things and he keeps saying things in the gospel to force you to make a decision about him. Who do you say I am? Do you really believe that I am who I say I am? And so we're going to see this interaction this morning with this governor named Pilate. And this is really the first of three weeks that we're going to be looking at this interaction. The next, uh, this week and the next two weeks is going to be in the text where Jesus and Pilate are interacting. And Pilate is interacting with the crowd, then he's interacting with Jesus. And this is an important piece for us, an important character for us that John includes in his gospel that all the other gospels include, even though the details vary. And if you're new with us, we jumped in to chapter 18 last week, and we saw that what we saw was, um, if you remember, the, the, the worst in humanity, because Jesus is in this garden, and Judas, the worst of humanity, comes to betray him. And just like us, we have pieces of Judas in us, the worst of humanity. We saw the best of humanity in Peter. He tries to step up and defend Jesus, but in your own power, you will fail in the best of your own humanity. But we also saw the truest version of humanity in Jesus as he loves even in the midst of his interrogation. And we see G, uh, Peter denying Jesus multiple times in that passage. And so where we're picking up this morning is that the Jewish leaders have arrested Jesus, and now they are taking him to the Roman officials. That's where we're going to see our scene. And we're actually going to start in verse 28. So if you have a Bible, look down to John chapter 18, starting in verse 28. We're going to read a little bit and talk about it and then uh, read a little more. This is what it says. Verse 20, it says, then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, 
If this man were not doing evil, we would have not delivered him over to you. Then Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, well, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Verse 32, this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show what kind of death he was going to die. Let's stop there just for a second and unpack what's happening and kind of set the stage that we're going to see in this dialogue between Jesus and Pilate in a minute. Who is Pilate? This is helpful for us to know. Um, What history has told us is he is the fifth governor of the Roman province of Judea which is where this is occurring, and his, his reign was about 10 years. It started in 26 AD, and there's, there's a ton of conjecture written about Pilate, but there's not a lot of historical data that everybody would kind of agree on who Pilate was. Um, a lot of people say, like, he really didn't like the Jews. He kind of married into this role, there's some, so there's a, some nepotism. But clearly what we're supposed to know is he is a person that has power. He is the governor of Rome in this province, and he has power and he has authority. Well, why are the Jewish leaders bringing Jesus to Pilate? Like, what's going on there? Why don't they just, as Pilate said, why don't you just judge him on your own law? If you remember the story, if you've been with us in John, um, the Jewish leaders, the, the leaders of Israel at the time, they hate Jesus. And John tells us why they really don't like Jesus, who they should love. This is the person they've been waiting for, the Messiah, to come and fix all things, but they don't get along with Jesus. And John tells us earlier in the book, in John chapter 11, verse 48, why they're so disrupted by Jesus is because he's really disrupting their systems of power and control. They are at the top of the religious system, and Jesus is coming in, and he's saying things, and he's doing things that go against their system of power and control, and when you invite Jesus around you, he will always mess up your systems of power and control. He will. That's what he does. He corrects them, fixes them, and so the Jewish elite leaders do not like this about Jesus, and so they begin to plot to have him killed, but they know that Jesus has a following, And so they can't do it themselves because that would be bad news for them. And then so they start to maneuver and manipulate to bring him in front of Rome and say, listen, you need to kill this Jesus. The other reason they hate him is because he's claiming to be God. All throughout the Gospels, Jesus is claiming equality with God, that he is God. And for a Jew, that was blasphemy. You couldn't say that. That's a penalty by death. The problem was the Romans who were governing over the Jews They didn't believe that if you claim to be God that you should die. They're like, that's ridiculous. We're not going to kill anybody for that reason. They will kill people for other reasons. And so the Jews realize, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to present them to Rome and go, this dude is trying to overthrow Rome. He claims to be a king. He's getting all these people riled up, and he is trying to take power away from Rome. And so that way they know the Romans, they will not play around with that, and that they will crucify Jesus. That's what 32, verse 32 really is about when it says that for this was to fulfill the world that Jesus had spoken to show what kind of death he was going to die. Jesus predicts his death in John chapter 3 and other places in the gospel. And crucifixion, if you're unaware, it was really a humiliating death on purpose. The whole point, I don't know if you remember those pirate movies back in the day, but anytime the ship would come into port and you would see skeletons hanging, it would say, pirates beware. And what it was trying to say, the community was saying, listen, if you're a pirate, you're not welcome here. If you come into this area being a pirate, this is what we're going to do to you. This is what crucifixion was to Rome. 
We were going to humiliate you, and we were going to do it publicly to say, if you try to push up against us on your power and leading some type of revolution, we will kill you, and we will humiliate you, and everybody that thinks about doing that, this is what's going to happen to you. So what happens is the Jewish leaders bring Jesus to Pilate. They don't even really give an answer. They're kind of back and forth, even in the text we just read. But basically, uh, Luke tells us in another part of Luke chapter 23 that they're saying, listen, this guy claims to be a king. He's a threat to Rome, and so you need to take care of him. That's where we pick up the story with Pilate. Pick up our story in verse 33 in this interaction with Jesus and Pilate. It says this, so Pilate entered his headquarters again, called Jesus to him, said, are you a king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I may not be delivered over the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say I am a king. For this purpose I was born. For this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? What is going on in this dialogue? I mean, what is happening here? Is Jesus trying to proselytize Pilate? Is he trying to convert Pilate into becoming a Christian? Is he ignoring him? Because he doesn't seem to answer some of his questions at face value. What is really happening in this story? That's what I want us to talk about this morning. A few years ago, I saw this post on Twitter, um, which I think is kind of funny. It says, it says this. You can throw it up there, Steve. It says, spice up any Facebook comment with random quotation marks. You seen this? You could go, congrats on your baby. You could go, congrats on your baby. Or you could go, congrats on your baby, right? So the quotation marks determine the the meaning of the statement. And one commentator says, if there's any place I would love to read inflection into a text, it's this scene right here between Jesus and Pilate. Because we have to say, what is actually going on here? Because when you read it at face value, it seems clunky. It seems confusing. Why isn't Jesus answering the question that Pilate asks about what have you done? He goes back to his kingdom. But what I think we can do here is any type of hard work as we read the story, we know the characters, we know the setting, and we do a little bit of a work, deeper work, we're going to start to understand what's actually happening here. That would be the goal this morning. So the way I want to do that is I want to put up this slide almost like a play, and we see these two characters back and forth, Jesus and Pilate, Jesus and Pilate. So this is going to be up the rest of the time, and we're just going to walk through the conversation bit by bit to see really what is happening in this interaction between Jesus and Pilate. Again, John is putting this story in here on purpose. Why is he putting it in here? So that we would have the answer, do you believe in Jesus? Does this interaction help us believe more in Jesus that he is the Messiah? That's the grid that we should be looking through as we examine this text together. So let's walk through it together. The first line, Pilate says this, are you the king of the Jews? So the first question I would say is, is when Pilate asks this, is his attitude, what is his attitude towards Jesus? Is he serious with this question or is he kind of cynical with this question? And we have to really do our best to visualize the situation for a second. Um, 
I worked for a long time with a ministry called Athletes in Action, uh, working with college and sometimes pro athletes. And in my role, sometimes you would work with people that seem to have power. They seem to have status in our culture. Athletes are sometimes viewed as celebrities. And not only that, but sometimes I was in rooms raising money, like thousands and thousands of dollars with these people that were kind of had power. They were CEOs of companies, they, uh, the, the head of leadership of Chick-fil-A. I'm in these rooms, and whenever I would go into a room with usually a coworker, and he would be, before our meeting, he would be like, listen, man, like you're going in like trying to ask for over $100,000 towards the ministry or something like that, and they would go like, you know, this this guy puts on his pants one leg at a time, just like you, right? Have you heard that phrase before? So whenever I knew I had a big meeting with somebody that, quote unquote, had power, every morning, here's what I would do. I would sit on the edge of my bed, and I would put on my pants two legs at a time. <laughs> and I would be like, no, he doesn't put his on pants the same as me. I put them on two legs at a time, not one leg at a time. But I would walk into these meetings with people that would have worldly power. They had money, they had status, they had influence, and we had this go, hey, would you consider being a part of what we are doing? This is some of the scene that we see here. Pilate perceivingly has power. He is the governor. He is ruling over this province in Judea, and Jesus comes up, and he's bound in chains. He's probably bloody from sweating in the garden. He's been slapped in the scene before we see. He might be swollen. He's probably raggedy. He's a poor person. And he's standing before Pilate. And Pilate walks in and says, oh, you're a king. I think Pilate's being cynical. I don't think he's curious about it in the moment. He's going like, what, what am I dealing with? Why am I dealing with this right now? It's early in the morning. This is, I told the Jewish people they should take care of it on themselves, but they're pressing it back on me. And so he walks in. He goes, oh, so you're a king of the Jews. I think he's being cynical in this moment. But when someone is cynical, when you're in a conversation with them, do you always know if they're serious or they're joking? You kind of don't know. Like I was in a conversation with somebody this week, and they said something, and I go, dude, I don't know if you're joking or you're serious. Like, can, help, help me understand which one it is. Because when somebody says something kind of off the cuff, like, you don't really know. But again, it seems like when we look at the scene that he seems somewhat cynical. He's skeptic in his attitude. So Pilate again starts off and says, are you a king of the Jews? Jesus responds, as he does brilliantly, a question with a question. He says, is that your own idea? Or did others talk about me to you, basically? What is Jesus doing here? Why is he asking this specific question? Jesus gives a wise response to cynicism. In essence, he's going like, Pilate, do you really want to know? Like, are, are you really curious? He's, he's leaving opportunity for conversation open. Even if he's reading some type of cynicism in Pilate, he's not going, what, what, what? What do you care if I'm a king? No, he goes like, is, is this something of your own idea or did other people tell you about it. He's genuinely asking Pilate, and I think what Jesus is beginning to do in this one question, this one dialogue, is he's going after Pilate's heart. He's cutting through the surface of cynicism, and he's asking, do you genuinely want to know about me, the king of the universe? How does Pilate respond to this when Jesus says, is that your own idea, or did others talk to you about me? Pilate says, am I a Jew? It was your own people and chief priests who handed you over to me. 
Now, what is it you've done? What's Pilate's response in this? Does he say he's personally interested in Jesus in this response? What would you guess in that? I don't think he is. Clearly, he has no interest in Jesus in this conversation. He says, am I a Jew? Basically saying, listen, you're uh, supposedly the king of the Jews. I don't really deal with Jews. I don't really like Jews. So do I look like a Jew to you? Why would you ask me that question if this is my own thinking or if somebody else told you? Seems like his tone, again, here is cynical. It's basically going like, Jesus, that is a dumb question. Like, why are you asking me that? But here's the puzzling thing about Pilate's response as he says, am I a Jew? It was your own people and your own chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you've done? If he has no interest in Jesus when Jesus asks that question, why does his response seem so unusually emotional? Do you catch that in the text? It's really nuanced there. But he's going like, am I a Jew? It was your own people and your chief priest who handed you over to me. What is it you've done? He seems annoyed. He seems agitated. He seems kind of somewhat charged in his response to Jesus. He could have just said like when Jesus said, is this your own idea? Or others talked to you about it. He could have gone like, well, I don't know. I just, I've heard of you. I'm just curious. He doesn't do that. He seems to be pushing back to some level. Why does Pilate react that way? Why does he seem to overstate that he's not interested in who Jesus is? I think it's because Pilate actually is interested in who Jesus is. I think he's curious. He's cynical, but he's curious. He's cracked the door of his heart open a little bit to go, I'm really actually curious who you are. And for me, some of his reaction is an indicator of that. And with someone with power and control like Pilate had, Jesus is getting embarrassingly close to him by his question. Have you ever experienced this before? I know I moved here in junior high, and I moved all over the country, but then I was in Virginia right before I moved here to Arizona. And so I'm in a new place, a new city, a new state, new culture. It's very different from where I was the last couple of years before that, and I am in public school. I'm sitting there, I'm trying to make friends, and one of the cutest girls in the class was named Stacy. And so I'm sitting there, and I kind of glance over at her direction, and one of my classmates leans over and sees me glancing in her direction, and he turns and he goes, hey, dude, do you like Stacy?" And so what was my response in that moment? I thought she was one of the cutest girls in class as well. I go, no, no, I'm not, no, I'm not interested in Stacy at all. Like, like, where I'm from, girls are different than they are here, and I don't even like her. And like, I went to this like, whole paragraph of like, why I wasn't interested in Stacy. Like, why was I doing that in that moment? I'm doing it because it's a moment of vulnerability, and this kid is getting close to the truth. He's getting close to how I really feel. And what if I really do say that I like her? And he goes, dude, you have no chance with her. Like, are you ridiculous? Like, I, and I, I didn't, you know? It's like, this is, you, you like her? And then he starts telling other people, and then they make fun of me, and like, or maybe uh, she finds out that I'm kind of interested in her, and then she shuts me down. And so it's a moment of vulnerability, and so instead of just going, no, I go, no, 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 I'm not interested in all, and I give this whole laundry list of reasons I'm not interested. Have you seen that happen before in your life? When somebody gets close to the truth and asking you a question, I mean, this happens all the time with toddlers, if you're a parent, you know this, did you eat that cookie? They have chocolate all over their face. Like, no, I didn't eat the cookie. No, I wasn't even here. I was hanging out with my brother. I was, and they just go through this long list of things. It's like, you could have just said no, but clearly there's something going on here that you're responding so charged. 
We saw it last week with Peter, right? He's following Jesus from a distance, and he gets asked, are, are, are you one of his disciples? No, 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 no. And then he gets more charged because they're getting close to the truth, and that's vulnerability for Peter because he could die if he identifies with Jesus. I think that's what's happening here in this moment with Pilate. Jesus, with this one question and this one comment, is getting dangerously close to Pilate's heart, and he doesn't like it. And he responds the way he does. The intensity of his denial actually exposes his curiosity in Jesus. Jesus says again to him, or I'm sorry, Pilate says in this, in this interaction, he kind of gets defensive, am I a Jew? Your people delivered you over to me. And then he says, what is it you have done? Why does Pilate ask that question? He changes the subject. Remember, he wants to know if Jesus is a king of the Jews, and Jesus doesn't answer him. And then he changes the subject. He goes, well, what is it that you've done? I feel like this is another indicator of Pilate going back and changing the subject because Jesus is getting close to his heart and he's trying to get back to the bottom line. He's trying to regain control of the conversation. He doesn't stay on topic of kingship. Instead, he changes the subject. We see this in other writings in John. John chapter 4 is a great example where Jesus has this dialogue and interaction with this woman at the well, if you're familiar with if you were with us during that time. And Jesus asks these questions, and remember, he gets really dangerously close to her heart, and she starts reacting, and she changes the subject. Do you remember that? She has this conversation as Jesus is asking these questions, and at one point, Jesus says to her, he says, okay, go get your husband and bring him back here. Do you remember what she says? She goes, I don't have a husband. And he goes, you're right. You've had five husbands, and the one you're with right now is not your husband. Do you remember the next line? It feels really weird when you read it at face value. She goes, oh, you must be a prophet. And I'm really curious, like, should we worship on this mountain or should we worship on that mountain over there? Like, she totally tries to change the subject because Jesus is getting close to her heart and close to the truth. And when Jesus interacts with you, he starts to get close to those areas that you go, oh, no, that's, that's too close. Jesus, that's too close. I don't want you over there. And so you start to change the subject. That's what we see Pilate doing in this interaction where he doesn't stay on kingship. He says, well, what is it that you've done? He's trying to change the subject again because Jesus is getting close to his heart. What does Jesus respond? He says this. I love this. He doesn't even answer Pilate's question. What have you done? He goes back to the kingdom question. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews, but now my kingdom is from another place. And Pilate shifts the conversation away from kingship. Jesus brings it back to kingship. And helps him understand, like, listen, this is what it means for me to be a king. You asked me if I was a king. This is what it means. And I just love Jesus' posture here. Have you ever dealt with people that you know are, like, being snarky with you or cynical with you in the moment? For me, when I start to whiff that, I'm just like, okay, I'm done with you. Like, I, I don't even want to talk to you. You're, like, this is, you clearly are kind of pushing against me. Jesus doesn't seem to be doing this at all in the moment. He keeps loving Pilate. He keeps loving him. He keeps asking him questions. He keeps responding to him. He doesn't flash back at Pilate and go, oh, that, are you a Jew? Yeah, that's cute, Pilate. Like, I know you're asking me that question. Of course you're not a Jew. No, he doesn't do any of that. He goes back to the, to the conversation. He goes, let me tell you what my kingdom is. I am a king of the Jews. Let me tell you what that means. It's not of this world because clearly I wouldn't be here right now. You have a kingdom of this world. I have a kingdom above all kingdoms. Listen to what Pilate says in response to that. 
Jesus says again, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent the arrest from the Jews, but now my kingdom is from another place. Pilate again goes, oh, so you're a king then? Responds that way. Again, Pilate's attitude, I believe, is cynical at best. And we can see this because Pilate doesn't respond to the categories that Jesus gives him. It it should have been kind of this interaction back and forth. So Jesus says, well, this is my kingdom. You would think Pilate would go, well, what do you mean by that? Like, if he's really curious, like, what do you mean by your kingdom is not of this world? But he doesn't do that. He goes back to going, oh, oh, you're a king. You're a king then. Because he feels the power shift again, and he's trying to grab hold of it in the conversation. He doesn't seem to respond this way because Jesus correctly discerns what's going on underneath the layer of cynicism. He doesn't say, like, Pilate doesn't say to Jesus, like, Jesus, I already figured you're not a king. I was being sarcastic when I asked you that. Like, what is it you've done? Why are you here? He doesn't, he doesn't say that. Pilate doesn't say that. He goes, oh, you're a king. And again, what I think is exposing is Pilate, even though he's cynical on the surface, underneath he's going like, who are you? Like, who are you, Jesus? And he keeps pushing against him in the midst of the conversation because I think Pilate is genuinely interested and curious in who Jesus might be. Here's how Jesus responds to Pilate saying, oh, you're a king then. Jesus says, you're right in saying that I'm a king. In fact, for this reason, I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on this side of the truth listens to me. Does Jesus reply, acknowledge Pilate's cynicism or attempt to engage his heart? Does he continue to Joke back with, again, when I get sarcastic, when somebody gets sarcastic with me, typically what I do is I get sarcastic back with them. But Jesus doesn't seem to do that. He keeps going after Pilate's heart. And I think one of the key words here in Jesus' response is the word everyone. Everyone on this side of truth listens to me. With that phrase, Jesus is inviting Pilate into the conversation. He's saying, this isn't just for the Jewish people. Pilate, this can be for you too. Everyone who is on this side of truth listens to me. Again, the woman at the well in John chapter 4, Jesus uses this language with her as well because she's going like, I'm a Samaritan woman. Clearly, I can't follow a Jewish rabbi. And she's going, no, 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 no. This is bigger. This is different. You remember the language that Jesus used uses with her. He says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water I give him will never thirst. And do you remember her response in that story? She believes in Jesus. She believes in Jesus and then goes, tells everybody in the town about who he is. We don't get to see Pilate's response here, even though we'll see some more interactions with him as we move forward in the text. But it's crazy to me that it's easier for the Samaritan woman to forsake men than Pilate to forsake power. He doesn't want to give up his power. That's where he gets his worth from. And Jesus is saying, stop. This is a different version of being a king. This is a different version of being a governor. And he's inviting Pilate in because he cares about his heart. And this is crazy to me because in just a few hours, Jesus knows what's about to happen to him. He can see the writing on the wall. He's in chains. He knows he's about to get whipped. He's about to get flogged. He's about to get spit on. He's about to die. And he's not thinking about himself at all in this moment. And he's not thinking about how cynical this dude is in front of him. He's going, how do I love him? 
How do I care about him? How do I invite him into the kingdom to help him see what it really is all about? This power that he thinks he has, it has nothing compared to what I have to offer him. And he's not thinking about self-preservation. He's thinking about the person that is right in front of him. How do I love him? That is beautiful. I hope we see that in this text, that what Jesus is doing in this moment is that he is displaying this beautiful symphony of love as he looks at Pilate and asks him questions in love. Doesn't leave him off the hook, but doesn't engage with him in his sarcasm and his cynicism. And he's going, Pilate, everyone who believes in me on this side of truth will know my kingdom. How does Pilate respond to him? Jesus says, you're right in saying that I'm a king. In fact, for this reason, I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on this side of truth listens to me. And Pilate says, well, what is truth? And again, this is where we would love to have the inflection because it could be like Pilate going, well, what is truth? Like, well, Jesus, what is it? But most commentators think, and I think if you continue to read the story and you read the text, because he asks the question, he doesn't even give a response, a time to, to, for Jesus to respond. He leaves right away. So it seems to be he's making a statement like, well, what is, what is truth? He seems cynical again because Jesus is getting dangerously close to his own heart. Pilate would know that would mean a ton of changes for him in his life. And it's threatening to him. He says, what is truth? One commentator said, he says, what is truth is the question you ask when truth is the last thing you want to hear. He's going, what is truth? Can you even find it? The irony of this whole question is so crazy because he's asking the one person that embodies truth, that is the truth, Jesus and all his glory and perfection and righteousness and love. And he's saying, oh, what is truth? You're looking at the truth. He can give you everything you need. In the context of truth, and Pilate's going, oh, I don't even think you can find it. Such a thick irony in the statement from Pilate as he asked that question back to Jesus. And again, Jesus seems to be ignoring the situation he's in. <laughs> that he's a prisoner, that he's bound, that he's about to be tortured and go to death. And he knows he's about to go to death. And the pain that he must think of, he doesn't focus on that. He focuses on the person that's right in front of him doing his best to love Pilate's heart, doing his best to love the cynical, demeaning, power-hungry Roman person that is right in front of him. Do you have people in your life, Christians, that you're trying to love? That, man, as much as you try to love them, they seem unlovable. Maybe they're dating your daughter, and you're like, this dude is the worst. My daughter's not dating anybody. It's not me. Relax. <laughs> but if that were true, how do you sit in front of that person and love them in spite of them? I think about Dr. Martin Luther King all the time in this conversation. He sat in front of people and loved them in spite of them, in spite of what they were doing to him. He said, I'm going to love them. He had strength to love because he was rooted and grounded in the person of Jesus. If you don't know Jesus in this room, man, this text should be encouraging to you and encouraging to us in the midst of our own cynical attitude and our own smugness towards God, towards Jesus, towards who he is, to what truth is. We make our own truth all the time. And Jesus is saying, listen, you can come to me. He still loves you even in spite of you. 
He loves you and he pursues your heart just like he pursues the heart of Pilate. And if you're a Christian in this room, again, I hope this is a beautiful, not invitation, but inspiration to you on what it looks like to love other people well. Because Jesus, again, doesn't consider his own circumstances at the time, but he's only thinking of Pilate. And how do I love this man that he would see what's really true? We'll continue in engaging this conversation between Pilate and Jesus in the next two weeks because what we're going to find is something very interesting in how Pilate reacts in certain things. So I hope you'll join us in that continual journey, and I hope you see again the beauty of Jesus in this text as he loves somebody in in front of him, even in spite of him. Let's pray. Father, thanks for the goodness and love that you display here in your son Jesus, loving and asking questions that go after somebody's heart, get under the surface, cut right through the cynicism or attitude to say, who do you say I am? I love you even in spite of you. Thanks that you say that to us. Even in spite of us, even as we continue to fail you, as we continue to sin, as we continue to chase after things that aren't you, you still come after us in love and care and say, come back to me. Come back to me. We thank you that that's true. We thank you we can respond to that goodness in the midst of all the things going on in our life this last week, the decisions we've made, the ways we have loved other things, and not you, and you're saying, come back to me. We pray that we would do that as we respond this morning. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.